Gala Night by P.G. Woodhouse The bar parlor at the Angler's Rest was fuller than usual. Our local race meeting had been held the afternoon, and this always means a rush of custom. In addition to the Hapitue, that faithful little band of listeners which sits nightly at the feet of Mr. Mulliner, there were present some half a dozen strangers. One of these, a fair-haired young stout and mild, wore the unmistakable air of a man who has not been fortunate in his selections. He sat staring before him with dull eyes and a drooping jaw, and nothing that his companion could do seemed able to cheer him up. A genial sherry and bitters, one of the regular patrons, eyed the sufferer with bluff sympathy. What your friend appears to need, gentlemen, he said, is a dose of Mulliner's Bucuapo. What's Mulliner's Bucuapo? asked one of the strangers, a whiskey sour, interested. Never heard of it myself. Mr. Mulliner smiled indulgently. He is referring, he explained, to a tonic invented by my brother Wilfred, the well-known analytical chemist. It is not often administered to human beings, having been designed primarily to encourage elephants in India to conduct themselves with an easy nonchalance during the tiger hunts which are so popular in that country. But occasionally human beings do partake of it with impressive results. I was telling the company here not long ago of the remarkable effect it had on my nephew, Augustine, the curate. It bucked him up. It bucked him up very considerably. It acted on his bishop, too, when he tried it in a similar manner. It is undoubtedly a most efficient tonic, strong and invigorating. How is Augustine, by the way, asked the sherry and bitters. Extremely well. I received a letter from him only this morning. I am not sure if I told you, but he is a vicar now at Wallingsford below Chivney on Thames. A delightful resort, mostly honeysuckle and apple-cheeked villagers. Anything been happening to him lately? It is strange that you should ask that, said Mr. Mulliner, finishing his hot scotch and lemon and rapping gently on the table. In this letter to which I allude, he has quite an interesting story to relate. It deals with the loves of Ronald Bracy Gasquagna and Hypatia Wace. Hypatia is a school friend of my nephew's wife. She has been staying at the vicarage, nursing her through a sharp attack of mumps. She is also the niece and ward of Augustine Superior of the Cloth, the Bishop of Stortford. Was that the bishop who took the bucuapo? The same, said Mr. Mulliner. As for Ronald Bracy Gasquagna, he is a young man of independent means who resides in the neighborhood. He is, of course, one of the Berkshire Bracy Gasquagnas. Ronald, said a lemonade and Angostura thoughtfully. Oh, there's a name I never cared for. In that respect, said Mr. Mulliner, you differ from Hypatia Wace. She thought it swell. She loved Ronald Bracy Gasquagna with all the fervor of a young girl's heart, and they were provisionally engaged to be married. Provisionally, I say, because before the firing squad could actually be assembled, <laughs> it was necessary for the young couple to obtain the consent of the Bishop of Stortford. Mark that, gentlemen. Their engagement was subject to the Bishop of Stortford's consent. 
This was the snag that protruded jaggedly from the middle of the primrose path of their happiness, and for quite a while it seemed as if, the, as if Cupid must inevitably stub his toe on it. I will select as the point at which to begin my tale, said Mr. Mulliner, a lovely evening in June, when all nature seemed to smile, and the rays of the setting sun fell like molten gold upon the picturesque garden of the vicarage at Wallingsford below Chivney on Thames. On a rustic bench beneath a spreading elm, Hypatia Wace and Ronald Bracy Gasquania watched the shadows lengthening across the smooth lawn, and to the girl there appeared to be something symbolical and ominous about this creeping blackness. She shivered. To her it was as if the sun-bathed lawn represented her happiness and the shadows the doom that was creeping upon it. Are you doing anything at the moment, Ronnie? Eh? said Ronald, Bracy Gasquania. What? Doing anything? Oh, you mean doing anything? Oh, no, I'm not doing anything. <laughs> then kiss me, cried Hypatia. Right-ho, said the young man. I see what you mean. I'm rather a scheme. I will. He did so, and for some moments they clung together in a close embrace. Then Ronald, releasing her gently, began to slap himself between the shoulder blades. A beetle or something down my, down my back, uh, he explained, probably fell off a tree. Kiss me again, whispered Hypatia. In one second, old girl, said Ronald, the instant I've dealt with this beetle or something, would you mind just fetching me a whack on about the fourth knob of the spine? Reading from the top downwards, I fancy that would make it think a bit. <laughs> Hypatia uttered a sharp exclamation. Is this a time, she cried passionately, to talk of beetles? Well, you know, don't you know, said Ronald, with a touch of apology in his voice. They seem rather to force themselves on your attention when they get down your back. I dare say you've had the same experience yourself. I don't suppose in the ordinary way I mentioned beetles oh, half a dozen times a year, but I should say the fifth knob would be about the right spot now. A good sharp slosh with plenty of follow-through ought to do the trick. Hypatia clenched her hands. She was seething with that febrile exasperation which, since the days of Eve, has come upon women who find themselves linked to a cloth head. <laughs> You poor sap, she said tensely. You keep babbling about beetles, and you don't appear to realize that if you want to kiss me, you'd better cram in all the kissing you can now while the going is good. It doesn't seem to have occurred to you that after tonight, you're going to fade out of the picture. Oh, I say no. What? what why? My Uncle Percy arrives this evening. The bishop? Yes, and my Aunt Priscilla. And you think they won't be any too frightfully keen on me? I know they won't. I wrote and told them we were engaged, and I had a letter this afternoon saying you wouldn't do. Oh, no, I say, really. Oh, I say, dash it. Out of the question, my uncle said, and underlined it. <laughs> not really, not absolutely underlined it. Yes, twice, in very black ink. A cloud darkened the young man's face. The beetle had begun to try out a few tentative dance steps on the small of his back, but he ignored it. A tiller troop of beetles could not have engaged his attention now. But what's he got against me? Well, for one thing, he has heard that you were sent down from Oxford. But 
all the best men are. Look at, what's his name? Chap who wrote poems. Shellac or some such name. <laughs> and then he knows that you dance a lot. What's wrong with dancing? I'm not very well up in these things, but didn't David dance before Saul? Or am I thinking of a couple of other fellows? Anyway, I know that somebody danced before somebody and was extremely highly thought of in consequence. David. I'm not saying it was David, mind you. It may quite easily have been Samuel, David, or even Nimshi, the son of Bimshi, or somebody like that. David or Samuel or Nimshi, the son of Bimshi, said Hypatia, did not dance at the home from home. Her allusion was to the latest of those frivolous nightclubs which spring up from time to time on the reaches of the Thames, which are within a comfortable distance from London. This one stood some half a mile from the vicarage gates. Is that what the bishop's beefing about? demanded Ronald, genuinely astonished. You don't mean to tell me he really objects to the home from home. Why, the cathedral couldn't be more rigidly respectable. Does he realize that the place has only been raided five times in the whole course of its existence? A few simple words of explanation will put all this right. I'll have a talk with the old boy. Hypatia shook her head. No, she said, it's no use talking. He has made his mind up. One of the things he said in his letter was that rather than countenance my union to a worthless worldling like you, he would gladly see me turned into a pillar of salt like Lot's wife. Genesis 1926. And nothing could be fairer than that, could it? So what I would suggest is that you start in immediately to fold me in your arms and cover my face with kisses. It's the last chance you'll get. The young man was about to follow her advice, for he could see that there was much in what she said. But at this moment there came from the direction of the house the sound of a manly voice trolling the psalm for the second Sunday after Septuagesima. And an instant later their host, the Reverend Augustine Mulliner, appeared in sight. He saw them and came hurrying across the garden, leaping over the flower beds with extraordinary lissomeness. Amazing elasticity that bird has, both physical and mental, said Ronald Bracy Gasquania, eyeing Augustine as he approached with a gloomy envy. How does he get that way? He was telling me last night, said Hypatia, he has a tonic which he takes regularly. It is called Maliner's Bacuapo and acts directly upon the red corpuscles. I wish he would give the bish a swig of it, said Ronald moodily. A sudden light of hope came into his eyes. I say, hip old girl, he exclaimed, this is rather a notion. Don't you think it's rather a notion? It looks to me like something of an idea. If the bish were to dip his beak into the stuff, it might make him take a brighter view of me. Hypatia, like all girls who intend to be good wives, made it a practice to look on any suggestions thrown out by her future lord and master as fatuous and futile. <laughs> I never heard anything so silly, she said. Well, I wish you would try it. No, no harm in trying it. What, what, what? Of course I shall do nothing of the kind. Well, I do think you might try it, said Ronald. I mean, try it, don't you know? <laughs> he could speak no further on the matter, for now they were no longer alone. Augustine had come up. His kindly face looked grave. I say, Ronnie, old bloke, said Augustine, I don't want to hurry you, but I think I ought to inform you that the bishes, male and female, 
Oh, even now, on their way up from the station, I should be popping if I were you. The prudent man looketh well to his going, Proverbs 14.15. All right, said Ronald somberly. I suppose, he added, turning to the girl, you wouldn't care to sneak out tonight and come and have one final spot of shoe-slithering at the home from home? It's a gala night. Might be fun, what? Give us a chance of saying goodbye properly and all that. I never heard of anything so silly, said Hypatia, mechanically. Of course I'll come. <laughs> right ho, meet you down the road about twelve then, said Ronald Bracy Gasquania. He walked swiftly away and presently was lost sight behind the shrubbery. Hypatia turned with a choking sob, and Augustine took her hand and squeezed it gently. Cheer up, old onion, he urged. Don't lose hope. Remember, many waters cannot quench love. Song of Solomon 8-7. <laughs> I don't see what quenching love has got to do with it, said Hypatia peevishly. Our trouble is that I've got an uncle complete with gaiters and a hat with bootlaces on it who can't see Ronnie with a telescope. I know, Augustine nodded sympathetically, and my heart bleeds for you. I've been through all this sort of thing myself. When I was trying to marry Jane, I was stymied by a father-in-law who had to be seen to be believed. A chap, I assure you, who combined chronic shortness of temper with the ability to bend perkers around his biceps. <laughs> tact was what won him over, and tact is what I propose to employ in your case. I have an idea at the back of my mind. I won't tell you what it is, but uh, you may take it from me. It's the real Tabasco. <laughs> How kind you are, Augustine, sighed the girl. It comes from mixing with Boy Scouts. You may have noticed the village is stiff with them. But don't you worry, old girl, I owe you a lot for the way you've looked after Jane these last weeks, and I'm going to see you through. If I can't fix up your little affair, I'll eat my hymns, ancient and modern, <laughs> and uncooked at that. And with these brave words, Augustine Mulliner turned two handsprings, vaulted over the rustic bench, and went about his duties in the parish. Augustine was rather relieved when he came down to dinner that night to find that Hypatia was not to be among those present. The girl was taking her meal on a tray with Jane, his wife, in the invalid's bedroom, and he was consequently able to embark with freedom on the discussion of her affairs. As soon as the servants had left the room, accordingly he addressed himself to the task. Now listen, you two dear good souls, he said. What I want to talk to you about, now that we are alone, is this business of Hypatia and Ronald Bracy Gasquagne. The lady bishopess pursed her lips, displeased. She was a woman of ample and majestic build. A friend of Augustine's, who had been attached to the tank corps during the war, had once said that he knew nothing that brought the old days back more vividly than the sight of her. All she needed, he maintained, was a steering wheel and a couple of machine guns, and you could have moved her up into any front line and no questions asked. <laughs> Please, Mr. Mulliner, she said coldly. Augustine was not to be deterred. Like all the Mulliners, he was at heart a man of reckless courage. They tell me you are thinking of bunging a spanner into the works, he said. Not true, I hope. Quite true, Mr. Mulliner. Am I not right, Percy? Quite, said the bishop. We have made careful inquiries about the young man and are satisfied that he is entirely unsuitable. 
Would you say that, said Augustine, a pretty good egg. I've always found him. What's your main objection to the poor lizard? The lady bishopess shivered. We learn that he is frequently to be seen dancing at an advanced hour, not only in gilded London nightclubs, but even in what should be the purer atmosphere of Wallingsford below Chivney on Thames. There is a resort in this neighborhood known, I believe, as the home from home. Yes, just down the road, said Augustine. It's a gala night tonight, if you care to look in. Fancy dress optional. I understand that he is to be seen there almost nightly. Now, against dancing, qua dancing, proceeded the Lady Bishopess, I have nothing to say. Properly conducted, it is a pleasing and innocuous pastime. In my own younger days, I myself was no mean exponent of the polka, the schottische, and the Roger de Cavalier. Indeed, it was at a dance in aid of the distressed daughters of clergymen of the Church of England Relief Fund that I first met my husband. Really, said Augustine. Well, cheerio, he said, draining his glass of port. But dancing, as the term is understood nowadays, is another matter. I have no doubt that what you call a gala night would prove on inspection to be little less than one of those orgies where perfect strangers of both sexes unblushingly throw colored celluloid balls at one another and in other ways behave in a manner more suitable to the cities of the plain than to our dear England. No, Mr. Mulliner, if this young man, Ronald Bracy Gasquagna, is in the habit of frequenting places of the type of the home from home, he is not a fit mate for a pure young girl like my niece, Hypatia. Am I not correct, Percy? Uh, perfectly correct, my dear. <laughs> oh, right, ho, then, said Augustine philosophically, and turned the subject to the forthcoming Pan-Anglican Synode. Living in the country had given Augustine Mulliner the excellent habit of going early to bed. He had a sermon to compose on the morrow, and in order to be fresh and at his best in the morning, he retired shortly before eleven. And as he had anticipated an unbroken eight hours of refreshing sleep, it was with no little annoyance that he became aware, towards midnight, of a hand on his shoulder, shaking him. Opening his eyes, he found that the light had been switched on, and that the Bishop of Stortford was standing at his bedside. Hello, said Augustine. Anything wrong? The Bishop smiled genially and hummed a bar or two of the hymn for those of riper years at sea. He was plainly in excellent spirits. Nothing, my dear fellow, he replied. In fact, very much the reverse. How are you, Mulliner? I feel fine, Bishop. I'll bet you two chasubles to a hassock. You don't feel as fine as I do, said the bishop. <laughs> it must be something in the air of this place. I haven't felt like this since boat race night of the year 1893. Whoa, he continued. Whoopee! How goodly are thy tents, O Jacob, and thy tabernacles, O Israel. Numbers 44, 5. And gripping the rail of the bed, he endeavored to balance himself on his hands with his feet in the air. Augustine looked at him with growing concern. He could not rid himself of a curious feeling that there was something sinister behind this ebullience. 
Often before he had seen his guest in a mood of dignified animation, for the robust cheerfulness of the other's outlook was famous in ecclesiastical circles. But here surely was something more than dignified animation. Yes, proceeded the bishop, completing his gymnastics and sitting down on the bed. I feel like a fighting cock, my little. I am full of beans. <laughs> and the idea of wasting the golden hours of the night in bed seemed so silly that I had to get up and look in on you for a chat. Now, this is what I want to speak to you about, my dear fellow. I wonder if you recollect writing to me around about epiphany. It would have been to tell me of the hit you made in the Boy Scouts pantomime here. You played Sinbad the sailor, if I am not mistaken. That's uh, right. Well, what I came here to ask, my dear Mulliner, was this. Can you by any chance lay your hand on that Sinbad costume? I want to borrow it, if I may. <laughs> what uh, for? Never mind what for, Mulliner. Sufficient for you to know that the motives of soundest churchmanship render it essential for me to have that suit. Very well, Bish, I'll find it for you tomorrow. Tomorrow will not do. <laughs> this dilatory spirit of putting things off, this sluggish attitude of laissez-faire and a procrastination, said the bishop, frowning, are scarcely what I expected to find in you, Malada. But there, he added more kindly, let us say no more. Just dig up that Sinbad costume and look slippy about it, and we will forget the whole matter. What does it look like? Uh, just an ordinary sailor suit, Bish. Excellent. Some species of headgear goes with it, I no doubt. A cap with uh, HMS Blotto on the band. <laughs> Admirable, then, my dear fellow, said the bishop, beaming. If you will just let me have it, I will trouble you no further tonight. Your day's toil in the vineyard has earned repose. The sleeping of the laboring man is sweet. Ecclesiastes 5.12 As the door closed behind his guest, Augustine was conscious of a definite uneasiness. Only once before had he seen his spiritual superior in quite this exalted condition. That had been two years ago when they had gone down to Harchester College to unveil the statue of Lord Hamill of Hampstead. On that occasion, he recollected, the bishop, under the influence of an overdose of Bacuapo, had not been content with unveiling the statue. He had gone out in the small hours of the night and painted it pink. Augustine could still recall the surge of emotion which had come upon him when, leaning out of the window, he had observed the prelate climbing up the water spout on his way back to his room. And he still remembered the sorrowful pity with which he had listened to the other's lame explanation that he was a cat belonging to the cook. <laughs> Sleep, in the present circumstances, was out of the question. With a pensive sigh, Augustine slipped on a dressing gown and went downstairs to his study. It would ease his mind, he thought, to do a little work on that sermon of his. Augustine's study was on the ground floor, looking on to the garden. It was a lovely night, and he opened the French windows, the better to enjoy the soothing scents of the flowers beyond. Then, seating himself at his desk, he began to work. The task of composing a sermon which should practically make sense and yet not be above the heads of his rustic flock, 
was always one that caused Augustine Molliner to concentrate tensely. Soon he was lost in his labor and oblivious to everything but the problem of how to find a word of one syllable that meant supralapsarianism. <laughs> a gaze of preoccupation had come over his eyes, and the tip of his tongue, protruding from the left corner of his mouth, revolved in slow circles. <laughs> from this waking trance he emerged slowly to the realization that somebody was speaking his name and that he was no longer alone in the room. Seated in his armchair, her lithe young body wrapped in a green dressing gown was Hypatia Wace. Hello, said Augustine, staring. You here? Hello, said Hypatia. Yes, I'm here. I thought you'd gone to the home from home to meet Ronald. Hypatia shook her head. We never made it, she said. Ronnie rang up to say that he had had a private tip that the place was to be raided tonight. Say we thought it wasn't safe to start anything. Quite right, said Augustine approvingly. Prudence first. Whatever thou takest in hand, remember the end, and thou shalt never do amiss. Ecclesiastes 7.36. Hypatia dabbed at her eyes with her handkerchief. I couldn't sleep, and I saw the light, so I came down. I'm so miserable, Augustine. About this Ronnie business? Yes. There, there, everything's going to be hotsy-totsy. I don't see how you can make that out. Have you heard Uncle Percy and Aunt Priscilla talk about Ronnie? They couldn't be more off the poor unfortunate fish if he were the scarlet woman of Babylon. <laughs> I know, I know, but as I hinted this afternoon, I have a little plan. I have been giving your case a good deal of thought, and I think you will agree with me that it is your Aunt Priscilla who is the real trouble. Sweeten her, and the bish will follow her lead. What she thinks today, he always thinks tomorrow. In other words, if we can win her over, he will give his consent in a minute. Am I wrong, or am I right? Hypatia nodded. Yes, she said, that's right as far as it goes. Uncle Percy always does what Aunt Priscilla tells him to, but how are you going to sweeten her? With Mulliner's Bacuapo. You remember how often I've spoken to you of the properties of that admirable tonic? It changes the whole mental outlook like magic. We have only to slip a few drops into your Aunt Priscilla's hot milk tomorrow night, and you will be amazed at the results. You really guarantee that? Absolutely. Then that's fine, said the girl, brightening visibly, because that's exactly what I did this evening. Ronnie was suggesting it when you came up this afternoon, and I thought I might as well try it. I found the bottle in the cupboard here, and I put some in Aunt Priscilla's hot milk, and in order to do a good job of it, some in Uncle Percy's toddy, too. An icy hand seemed to clutch at Augustine's heart. He began to understand the inwardness of the recent scene in his bedroom. <laughs> How much, he gasped. Oh, not much, said Hypatia. I didn't want to poison the dear old things. About a tablespoon apiece. A shuddering groan came raspingly from Augustine's lips. Oh, you are aware, he said in a low, toneless voice, that the medium dose for an adult elephant is one teaspoonful? <laughs> no! <laughs> yes. The most fearful consequences result from anything in the nature of an overdose. He groaned. No wonder the bishop seemed a little strange in his manner just now. 
Did he seem strange in his manner? Augustine nodded dully. He came into my room and did handsprings on the end of the bed and went away in my Sinbad, the sailor suit. <laughs> what did he want that for? Augustine shuddered. I scarcely dare to face the thought, he said. But can he have been contemplating a visit to the home from home? It's gala night, remember? Why, of course, said Hypatia, and that must have been why Aunt Priscilla came to me about an hour ago and asked me if I could lend her my Columbine costume. <laughs> she did, cried Augustine. <laughs> Certainly. I couldn't think what she wanted it for. But now, of course, I see. Augustine uttered a moan that seemed to come from the depths of his soul. Run up to her room and see if she's still there, he said. If I am not very much mistaken, we have sown the wind, and we shall reap the whirlwind, Hosea 8-7. <laughs> the girl hurried away, and Augustine began to pace the floor feverishly. He had completed five laps and was beginning a sixth, when there was a noise outside the French windows, and a sailorly form shot through and fell, panting into the armchair. Bish! cried Augustine. The bishop waved a hand to indicate that he would be with him as soon as he had attended to this matter of taking in a fresh supply of breath and continued to pant. Augustine watched him, deeply concerned. There was a shop-soiled look about the guest. Part of the Sinbad costume had been torn away as if by some irresistible force, and the hat was missing. His worst fears appeared to have been realized. Bish, he cried. What has been happening? The bishop sat up. He was breathing more easily now, and a pleased, almost complacent look had come into his face. Woof, he said. Sun binge. <laughs> Tell me what happened, pleaded Augustine, agitated. The bishop reflected, arranging his facts in chronological order. Well, he said. When I got to the home from home, everybody was dancing. Nice orchestra, nice tune, nice floor. So I danced, too. You danced? Certainly I danced, Malina, replied the bishop, with a dignity that sat well upon him. A hornpipe. I consider it the duty of the higher clergy on these occasions to set an example. You didn't suppose I would go to a place like the home from home to play solitaire? <laughs> Harmless relaxation is not forbidden, I believe. But can you dance? Can I dance, said the bishop. Can I dance, Mulliner? Have you ever heard of Nijinsky? <laughs> yes, my stage name, said the bishop. Augustine swallowed tensely. Who did you dance with, he asked. At first, said the bishop, I danced alone, but then, most fortunately, my dear wife appeared, looking perfectly charming in some sort of filmy material, and we danced together. But uh, wasn't she surprised to see you there? Not in the least. Why should she be? Oh, I don't know. Then why did you put the question? I wasn't thinking. Always think before you speak, Malena, said the bishop, reprovingly. The door opened and Hypatia hurried in. She's not, she stopped. Uncle, she cried. 
Ah, oh, my dear, said the bishop, but I was telling you, Marlena, after we had been dancing for some time, a most annoying thing occurred. Just as we were enjoying ourselves, everybody cutting up and having a good time. Who should come in but a lot of interfering policemen? The most brusque and unpleasant body of men, inquisitive too. One of them kept asking my, me my name and address. But I soon put a stop to all that sort of nonsense. I plugged him in the eye. <laughs> you plugged him in the eye? I plugged him in the eye, Marana. That's when I got this suit on. The fellow was annoying me intensely. He ignored my repeated statement that I give my name and address only to my oldest and closest friends, and had the audacity to clutch me by what I suppose a costumier would describe as the slack of my garment. Well, naturally, I plugged him in the eye. I come of a fighting line, Malana. My ancestor, Bishop Oddo, was famous in William the Conqueror's day for his work with the battle axe. So I biffed this bird. <laughs> and did he take a toss, ask me, said the bishop, chuckling contentedly. Augustine and Hypatia exchanged glances. But uncle, began Hypatia, don't interrupt, my child, said the bishop. I cannot marshal my thoughts if you persist in interrupting. Oh, was I? Ah, yes. Well, then the already existing state of confusion grew intensified. The whole temper of the proceedings became, as it were, quickened. Somebody turned out the lights, and somebody else upset a table, and I decided to come away. A pensive look flitted over his face. I trust, he said, that my dear wife also contrived to leave without uh, undue inconvenience. The last I saw of her, she was diving through one of the windows in a manner which I thought showed considerable lissomeness and resource. <laughs> ah, here she is, and looking none the worse for her adventures. Come in, my dear. I was just telling Hypatia and our good host here of our little evening from home. The Lady Bishopess stood breathing heavily. She was not in the best of training. She had the appearance of a tank which is missing on one cylinder. <laughs> Save me, Percy, she gasped. Certainly, my dear, said the bishop cordially. From what? In silence, the lady bishopess pointed at the window. Through it, like some figure of doom, was striding a policeman. He, too, was breathing in a labored manner like one touched in the wind. The bishop drew himself up. And what? Play, he asked coldly, is the meaning of this intrusion. Ah, said the policeman. He closed the windows and stood with his back against them. It seemed to Augustine that the moment had arrived for a man of tact to take the situation in hand. Good evening, constable, he said genially. You appear to have been taking exercise. I have no doubt that you would enjoy a little refreshment. The policeman licked his lips, but did not speak. I have an excellent tonic here in my cupboard, proceeded Augustine, and I think you will find it most restorative. I will mix it with a little seltzer. The policeman took the glass, but in a preoccupied manner. His attention was still riveted on the bishop and his consort. <laughs> Caught you, have I? he said. 
I fail to understand you, officer, said the bishop frigidly. I've been chasing her, said the bishop, pointing to the lady bishopess. A good mile it must have been. Then you acted, said the bishop severely, in a most offensive and uncalled-for way. On her physician's recommendation, my dear wife takes a short cross-country run each night before retiring to rest. Things have come to a sorry pass if she cannot follow her doctor's orders without being pursued, I will use a stronger word, shivied, by the constabulary. And it was by her doctor's orders that she went to the home, home from home, eh, said the policeman keenly. I shall be vastly surprised to learn, said the bishop, that my dear wife has been anywhere near the resort you mentioned. And you were there, too. I saw you. Absurd. I saw you punch Constable Booker in the eye. Ridiculous. If you weren't there, said the policeman, what are you doing wearing that sailor suit? The bishop raised his eyebrows. I cannot permit my choice of costume, he said. Arrived at, I need scarcely say, after much reflection and meditation... To be criticized by a man who habitually goes about in public in a blue uniform in a hamlet. What, may I inquire, is it that you object to in this sailor suit? There is nothing wrong, I venture to say, nothing degrading in a sailor suit. Many of England's greatest men have worn sailor suits. <laughs> Nelson, Admiral Beatty. And Arthur Prince, said Hypatia, and, as you say, Arthur Prince, the policeman was scowling darkly. As a, as a dialectician, he seemed to be feeling he was outmatched. <laughs> and yet, he appeared to be telling himself, there must be some answer, even to the apparently unanswerable logic to which he had just been listening. To assist thought, he raised the glass of Bacuopo and seltzer in his hand and drained it at a draught. And as he did so, suddenly, abruptly, as breath fades from steel, the scowl passed from his face, and in its stead there appeared a smile of infinite kindliness and goodwill. He wiped his moustache and began to chuckle to himself, as at some diverting memory. Made me laugh, that did, he said, when old Booker went head over eels that time. Don't know when I've seen a nicer punch, clean, crisp, don't suppose it travelled more than six inches, did it? I reckon you've done a bit of boxing in your time, sir. At the sight of the constable's smiling face, the bishop had relaxed the austerity of his demeanour. He no longer looked like Savonarola rebuking the sins of the people. <laughs> he was his old, genial self once more. Quite true, officer, he said, beaming. When I was a somewhat younger man than I am at uh, present, I, I won the curate's open heavyweight championship Two years in succession, some of the ancient skills still lingers, it would seem. The bishop chuckled again. I should say it does, sir. But, he continued, a look of annoyance coming into his face. What all the fuss was about, more than I can say. Our fat-headed inspector says, you go and raid that home from home, chap, see? He says, and so we went and done it. But my art wasn't in it, no more than was any of the other fellows' arts in it. What's wrong with a little rational enjoyment? That's what I say. What's wrong with it? Precisely, officer. That's what I say. What's wrong with it? Let people enjoy themselves how they like is what I say. 
And if the police come interfering, well, punch them in the eye, I say, same as you did. That's what I say. Exactly, said the bishop. He turned to his wife. A fellow of considerable intelligence, this, my dear. I liked his face right from the beginning, said the lady bishopess. What is your name, officer? Smith, lady, but call me Cyril. Certainly, said the lady bishopess. It will be a pleasure to do so. I used to know some Smiths in Lincolnshire years ago. Cyril, I wonder if they were any relation. Maybe, lady, it's a small world. Oh, now I come to think of it, their name was Robinson. <laughs> well, that's life, lady, isn't it, said the policeman. That's just about what it is, Cyril, agreed the bishop. You never spoke a true word. Into this love feast, which threatened to become more glutinous every moment, there cut the cold voice of Hypatia Wace. Well, I must say, said Hypatia, that you're a nice lot. Here's a nice lot, lady. Asked the policeman. These two, said Hypatia, are you married, officer? No, lady, I'm just a solitary chip drifting on the river of life. <laughs> well, anyway, I expect you know what it feels like to be in love. Too true, lady. <laughs> well, I'm in love with Mr. Bracy Gasquania. You've met him, probably. Wouldn't you say he was a person of the highest character? The whitest man I know, lady. Well, I want to marry him, and my uncle and aunt here won't let me, because they say he's worldly, just because he goes out dancing, and all the while they're dancing the soles of their shoes through. I don't call it fair. She buried her face in her hands with a stifled sob. The bishop and his wife looked at one another in blank astonishment. I don't understand, said the bishop. No, I, said the lady bishopess. My dear child, what is all this about? About our not consenting to your marriage with Mr. Bracy Gasquania? However did you get that idea into your head? Certainly, as far as I'm concerned, you may marry Mr. Bracy Gasquania. And I think I speak for my dear husband. Right, said the bishop, most decidedly. Hypatia uttered a cry of joy. Good egg, may I really? Certainly you may. You have no objection, Cyril. None whatever, laddie. Hypatia's face fell. Oh, dear, she said. What's the matter? It just struck me that I've got to wait hours and hours before I can tell him. Just think of having to wait hours and hours. The bishop laughed his jolly laugh. Wait, wait, hours and hours, my dear. No time like the present. But he's gone to bed. Well, rout him out, said the bishop heartily. Here is what I suggest you should do. You and I and Priscilla and you, Cyril, we'll all go down to his house and stand under his window and shout. <laughs> or throw gravel at the window, suggested the lady bishopess. Certainly, my dear, if you prefer it. And when he sticks his head out, said the policeman, how up would it be to have the garden owes Andy and squirt him? Cause a lot of fun and laughter, that would. <laughs> My dear Cyril, said the bishop, you think of everything. I shall certainly use any influence I may possess with the authorities to have you promoted to a rank where your remarkable talents will enjoy greater scope. Come, let us be going. You will accompany us, my dear Mulliner. 
Augustine shook his hand. Sermon, de right, Bish? Just as you say, Melina. Then, if you will be so good as to leave the window open, my dear fellow, we shall be able to return to our beds at the conclusion of our little errand of goodwill without disturbing the domestic staff. Right, oh, Bish. Then, for the present, pip-pip, Melina. He took up his pen and resumed his composition. Out in the sweet-scented night he could hear the four voices dying away in the distance. They seemed to be singing an old English part song. He smiled benevolently. A merry heart doeth good like a medicine, Proverbs 17.22, murmured Augustine.